Welcome to the Thunderstock Show. My goal is simple. Discuss topics that matter to your life, liberty, and pursuit of property. My hope is that these brainstorms provide you the utmost value. Today's episode is an interview with Carrie Egan. Carrie has been doing interventions for over a decade since her own life-saving intervention. She graduated from Drexel University with a Bachelor of Science in Business Administration and a minor in Psychology. Carrie is a certified case manager interventionist, a certified intervention professional, and a professional recovery coach. Carrie travels nationwide for her interventions and offers continued care for her clients with case management and coaching services for the whole family system for at least one year. Carrie is currently in graduate school at Grand Canyon University studying for her master's in clinical mental health counseling. Before starting her intervention practice, Carrie spent 20 years in sales and management in the electronic security industry. Over the last 12 years, Carrie owned a restaurant, a trucking company, delivering Amish furniture, and a security consulting business. When Carrie is not working or studying, she enjoys all things fitness. She resides in Lancaster, Pennsylvania with her wife, Timolyn, and their beautiful, beloved boxer, Rexlin. Carrie Egan. Good morning. Good morning, Ross. It is less than a month away from Christmas. It is the holiday season. We're out of Thanksgiving. Um, I wanted to to introduce everyone to the reality of sometimes for some people, this season is not the happiest time of the year. And yeah. Carrie, a little background. She is the founder of My Interventionist, You know, big advocate for mental health big advocate for helping with addiction and something that's overlooked. I think sadly this time of year is help. You know, this is the season of giving. This is, I think it's much better to give than receive. I know that you probably believe that too. So today we're going to talk about mental health and the holidays and all the ways that, you know, the experience and the ways that Carrie, you know, knows how to help people. Yeah. I'm, uh, I'm excited. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for, thanks for being here. Um, so Carrie, can you kind of dive in on how your experience for 10 plus years kind of brings you to today, uh, 20, end of 2022, like what's the the short Man. road of that? So, um, so for me, basically I got sober when I was 32 years old. Um, I had tried to get sober many times, right. Cause I'd wake up and uh, say, I'm never drinking like that again. But uh, so I did that for 15 years and then um, I finally submitted and I actually went to an inpatient rehab and followed the clinical recommendations afterwards. So I did some sober living and um, I, I chose to, to use a 12 step program. Obviously, there's many different options. There's Celebrate Recovery, Dharma um, smart recovery, AA, you know, and the clinical recommendations are basically just figure out a community that works for you. So for me, I found a good home in Alcoholics Anonymous. I didn't realize that there were, I only ever heard of like 12 steps. I didn't mm-hmm. realize there were all those other options you just named off. Wow. Oh yeah. Yeah. There's plenty of options. And, um, yeah, so we don't try and just as a treatment industry, we try very hard not to pigeonhole a client in this one specific thing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's all about empowering them. Um, and this is what I do in my coaching. I, I empower them to investigate 
You know, so uh, one thing, you know, right in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous is contempt prior to investigation, right? Hmm. So we don't want to, we want to make sure that everybody can, can toe dip in many different ways of recovery because everybody's path is unique. So we have similarities and um, we'll talk about some of those, um, but, but everyone is, is an individual. And one thing that recovery certainly gives you back is your sense of self hmm. and your purpose. So um, when I think back to the holidays and coming up on that first year, I got sober in April and uh, my intervention was the day after Easter. <laughs> so when I got out of okay. rehab, so, so some of the funny things that I did that um, I don't recommend to my clients, um, <laughs> when I got out of rehab, it was Memorial Day weekend. Okay. So I was like, okay, I don't drink anymore. It's Memorial Day weekend. So I have to go to the beer distributor and get NAs. So I bought four cases, all four different kinds of non-alcoholic beers so that I could go to the Memorial Day cookout. And um, so for me, it took till about uh, July 4th. And my best friend looked at me and said, because I'm ripping through these NAs. And my best friend and, said and, to me, NA stands for non-alcoholic, non-alcoholic, beverage. sorry. Yeah. Yep. Non-alcoholic beers. So, and, and most of the non-alcoholic beers do have alcohol in them. Okay. Slight percentage, but they do have alcohol. There is a new one, Heineken double zero, zero point zero, and it has no alcohol. So uh, I did have one of those at the last rock star event. Um, but anyway, my, my best friend said, it seems to me as though, you're just replacing one addiction for another. And that hit, that hit me. And I, and we were we were sitting on the steps at my cousin's house. I won't forget it because it was a game changer for me. Um, many people in the recovering community had said, I remember I, I shared at a meeting once about mm -hmm. drinking NAs and, and many, so many people in the recovering community did advise me and say, you, you gotta be real careful. That's a slippery slope. Mm. And um, so I uh, I don't keep it in my house anymore or anything like that. But um, for my wedding, I did have some non-alcoholic wines and some non-alcoholic beers and yeah, um, available to people. Um, and an interesting fact: we're diverting a little bit, but I think you'll find this interesting and your listeners too. Um, back in the twenties, thirties, forties, fifties, right? The alcohol percentage that was in liquor and beer. Mm -hmm. was much 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 lower than it is today that makes sense so and i and i i was having this conversation with a buddy of mine two days ago and i remember when we started getting the molson x right mm -hmm. and and the and the uh, brewery all of a sudden from what we as kids were drinking natty light right mm -hmm. at five percent now the kids are drinking the ices Natty and, Ice. Mm -hmm. Yep. And the IPAs. And all of a sudden we're looking at Belgian quads. And yep, 12% alcohol, right? So basically wine. <laughs> yeah. So it's it's um, you know, it's increased a lot. Um, what the actual chemical is that we're consuming. Um, so anyway, uh that was my first experience with a holiday. But you know, Memorial Day, Fourth of July, Labor Day, mm -hmm. um in my family weren't uh, great gathering holidays right well leading up to christmas leading up to thanksgiving i'm sorry leading up to thanksgiving my first year in recovery um 
there was a group of people that were going to have Thanksgiving together in the recovering community. And, you know, I wanted to do that. I wanted to be with the other recovering people. So that first year I was not with my family. So telling my family that, Hey, I'm doing Thanksgiving with my new friends, you know, that can be, uh, probably pretty tough. Yeah. It's a hard conversation, right? Your parents like just got you back your brothers and sisters sometimes, you know, extended family, if they're included. Mm -hmm. And now all of a sudden your addiction is keeping you away, but this year it's because you're sober and in recovery. Mm. So um, it's what I tell people is you have to have your boundary and you need to protect your recovery above all else. And family gathering events can be times of stress for many, 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 many people. And there's many, 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 many reasons. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of it when you're newly in recovery um, is, okay, so does Aunt Elma know that I went to rehab? Mm, Fear of judgment almost. Yep. Yeah. Can I be all, can I actually attend my family gathering and be my authentic, true to myself of who I am today and how I'm living today? Mm -hmm. And then if the answer is, yeah, I want to go. Is it all is it going to be all about me and mm. everybody asking me all these changes? And, and am I ready to field the questions? Mm-hmm. So that first, you know, first Thanksgiving, first Christmas, um, you know, we know that relapse occurs uh, during times of change. OK, so divorce, new job change, moving. Um, I would I would add in there change in families. Change in family structure. Um, and uh, changes in my own life. So not just external things that might change, but internal things that might change. And if I'm mm. doing a lot of introspection and I'm trying to develop my core values now as they align and make sense to me as a person that's choosing to not uh, imbibe in substances that change my mental and emotional state. Mm-hmm. Um I need to surround myself in a very supportive environment because I'm very, very vulnerable. Right. And um, so a lot of the programs have extra support at the holidays. They'll have things like Alcathons, Turkey Thons, and, um, you know, a lot of availability across all of the different modalities of recovery um, to help people. One thing that you mentioned is that putting recovery at the first, the the forefront of your priorities is a necessity. It reminds me of when people um, are listening to stewardesses or flight attendants, whatever the proper term is nowadays, and you're in a commercial plane, they say, hey, in case of emergency, put an oxygen mask on yourself before you attend to your children. It's like you can't pour from an empty cup sort of a thing. Oh, exactly. Exactly. And I think a lot of people forget about that, especially parents, especially around the holidays. I know, I mean, I I think this is a universal Western culture truth is that, yes, I believe in the spirit of giving, but sometimes people feel like it has to be all material and Mm -hmm. the shopping and the spending and the financial stress that it can occur. I mean, I know in our household, right? So we're spending way more money this month. And it's like, well, we have a daughter for the first time and she needed this and she needed that. And we wanted to get Christmas gifts and be nice. 
And I mean, that's just one example across many, many, many. So how, what is your sort of advice for keeping routine and keeping structure around these times of change? I know that that's something that you create content around is making sure that you're hitting your routine. Yep. Yeah. So um, I recommend um, for myself, um, I get, I do a little bit more recovery centered activity. So that's for me, looks like reaching out to other sober people, mm-hmm. um, having extra coffee dates this time of year, um, going to more meetings um, and being intentional with my time. Okay. So that I have self-care. I have to ward off the pressures, the the family pressures, the pressures to plead, please everyone. Mm-hmm. And that goes with the financial as well, right? The last thing that a newly sober, just changing their life person needs to feel is guilt and shame that they can't meet somebody else's expectation. And that's an expectation of a gift and time being our greatest gift. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So supporting your loved one who's in recovery does need to look like being okay with them doing what they need to do. And if that is a meeting at noon, you know, and they've told you this, you know, one of my suggestions is schedule your lunch for two o'clock. If you want them to be there, move the time that you're serving the turkey, because the reality is it's more important for that new that person in recovery, it's not just new, right? It's a person in recovery, but it's especially challenging mm. to navigate the first couple years. Right. You know, we get better at it as we're, as we're in recovery a little bit longer, we get better at figuring out how to just let people know, no, I'm not going to be there. Mm. Um, you know, I, I remind people, no is a complete sentence. And <laughs> it might be the shortest sentence. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, and, and one of the most powerful, right? So, um, Keeping that routine, if every day of the year or your recovery journey so far, you're going to a noon meeting and that noon meeting is open on the holidays. Some some meetings will be open, some won't be, mm-hmm. you know, depending on the location, then you should go to that meeting. Um, you shouldn't change anything just because of the day of the year. And when you think about it, our addiction doesn't change just because it's Christmas. Sure. Our, our addiction doesn't change and um, and therefore our recovery needs to not change. Now, that's not to say that if you feel comfortable with it, that you can't adjust your meeting schedule, but it needs to be because you want to and you feel comfortable, um, not because of family pressures to do so. So it sounds like to me, there is it's not only creating a boundary against your addiction per se, but it's also creating a boundary with others, with your time and your attention and your sort of your bandwidth of resources. You know, you're not just trying to recover from whatever that substance was. You're trying to kind of get back your boundaries. And a lot of, uh, I spend time watching tons of um, meaning of life videos and self-help and just personal development content. And one of the interesting things I heard recently, Carrie, was that people pleasing is a form of dopamine seeking behavior. 
and that Absolutely. and that sometimes people re- may replace the idea of you know getting high or getting drunk with you know uh, people pleasing activities saying yes when they don't want to or over committing social settings so if you think of it as and again this is just this video I thought, but what do you think about that? Is that kind of a interchangeable when you're going yes, down so, the root cause? So when we talk about addiction, the, the next thing that comes up right away is codependency, mm-hmm. right? And codependent behaviors and codependency is the love addiction mm. and the people pleasing um, the, the way that I've seen it manifest uh, the most where it has an impact on your life is love. Okay. Okay. Trying to people please the people that we love. Um, I don't know too many. Uh, well, I shouldn't say that there's plenty of people that have to work over the holidays. Um, and they may be trying to please their employer, but <laughs> mm. they may not have an option. Um, but that people pleasing behavior is, um, throwing you off of your own core values, if it is, then we need to look at that as like codependency. And codependency is often um, evident in addiction and families suffering from addiction. And it mm. doesn't just go away just because, let's say, the person that was um, using the chemical substance to the level of abuse just because they go to, to treatment for 28 days, maybe 90 if they're lucky. Mm-hmm. And I say that if they're lucky because 90 days of treatment are ch- the chance of success and the lessening of relapse during that first year goes down substantially. Is that right? Yeah. Yep. Hmm. And if you come in for one year, success rate, one year of an active program. So like for me, they go to a facility for 28 days, then they might do outpatient for six weeks. And then, and then when reduced to, you know, uh, recovery activities plus individual recovery coaching weekly. Um, so it's a step down continuum of care is step down procedures and, um, getting people back on their feet in a way where we feel they have the resources, they have that toolkit build up. Codependency takes a lot of work. And it's the work that has to be done as a family for greatest success. Mm-hmm. That's another, in, in my model, that's another part of it. We I treat the whole family system, not just the addict or alcoholic. And to say that the time of year, you know, when, when you, when you say that, you know, it's at least 28 days, it's like, what comes to mind is that 30 days after the heaviest people call it like amateur night of drinking, but Thanksgiving Eve is when there's reportedly the most DUI arrest. Mm -hmm. And if what you're saying is even if somebody went into, and this is just by complete luck or chance, I don't know if this is the case, but let's just say person a, and they may have an addiction issue. They may not, but if you have a DUI, you have a problem. Like that's an, it. Like you have an issue you're facing. And let's just say you get into treatment the next day. Well, mm-hmm. guess what? You're getting out like a week before Christmas. Yep. And you just you just had a crazy like a tumultuous up and down time. Um so what what do you say to people that, you know, 
may have just had a relapse or they maybe they were in recovery for a few years and it's approaching the holidays. Like, what do you say to them that they may have been through it before and had it, but like, how do you coach that type of individual? Not a new person. Yeah. Yeah. Anybody. So meetings, literature. So it just like you talked about the content that you consume right? Being personal development and things like that. I talk about the content that they're going to consume. Mm, okay. You know? What, um, be careful with who you surround yourself with. Um, you know, make sure that you're spending time with people that support your new goals. And again, we come back to this. Am I, am I out and vocal about my recovery or not? Right. Um, it's, it's always a good rule of thumb to talk to somebody in your sober support circle, your recovering buddies uh, mm-hmm. directly before and immediately after an event. You know, mm-hmm. don't spend a whole lot of time uh, rehashing or preparing, you know, either way, alone in your head. Right. Just get out, get out of your own head. And get out of your own head. Do it with another person. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. Do it with another person. And, um, you know, we I suggest people to have a support group of no less than six people like minded mm-hmm. so that somebody's always available. Now, how cha- changing topics, but on the same topic, how has the holiday season changed for you now that you're either at or past 10 years of sobriety? Like, what is it? you know, the time machine question, right? Like what did 32 year old Carrie or 31 year old Carrie, how those holidays look compared to now? Yeah. So 30, 32 year old Carrie was completely full of anxiety and trepidation. I just resigned from my family's business. You know, it was my first year that the holiday conversation couldn't be all about work. Mm. Um, it probably still was, I'm sure my dad doesn't really stop (laughs) probably whether whether I worked there or not, but maybe we weren't going over individual tasks, but, um, completely anxiety ridden. Um, you know, it's your first, first birthday without a drink. It's your first Christmas without a drink. Mm -hmm. It's your first new year's, you know, new year's Eve was a big one. How did I handle it? You know, I had a big new year's Eve party, invited a bunch of other recovering people. Oh, cool. Um, so Things like that. Now, this year, for example, um, Thanksgiving has passed um, Mm -hmm. and I chaired a meeting on Thanksgiving before I went over to uh, to our Thanksgiving meal. So my um, my anxiety level has changed a lot. Okay, Uh, I'm much more comfortable than I was at 32 going Mm -hmm. through it for the first time. Um. I, I'm one of those people that kind of came out with my recovery right away. It was like, okay, um, um, and an interesting thing for me is I, I dealt with my sexuality, um, when I went to rehab as well. Oh, so was there a concurrent timing? Yeah. So I had never actually came out and said, all right, uh, I think I've got this figured out now. And I, I think I'm gay. Mm, Okay. I was still kind of hiding at hiding it in conversations when people would come up to me at um I, and I worked with my dad and we were together a lot and people would come up and and say oh are you married and my dad would not he would not miss a beat she's married to her work interesting you know shut shut it down right away mm-hmm. so um yeah so I had I had to get comfortable so when I came out of rehab I was like okay well 
I'm gay. I'm an alcoholic and uh, I'm not working for my family business anymore. And here I am. And what is this new life? Okay. So you, you just address the identity as a whole, as a whole. Yeah. Yep. Bam. Right away. And um, I haven't looked back since, uh, you know, it's, it's a way better life living authentically way better life. And I mean, um, so, that... so the holidays for me, you know, I guess the answer really Ross is that they haven't changed mm-hmm. other than I have had a reduction in anxiety. Um, I still work on my recovery every day. Mm-hmm. During the holiday season, I still participate and see my family and friends. And I um, I don't let anything come between me and, um, and my spiritual condition. So for me, I maintain that spiritual condition by reading and uh, meditating. I do. I belong to a, a, a church. I do attend church services. Um, not as regularly as I would like, um, because it is kind of fulfilling for me. Mm-hmm. Well, not kind of, it is fulfilling. Um, <laughs> you have a lot going on with your, with your time and it sounds hey, like that's what you got to do, man. You got to stay in busy and you're, you know, you just went all in on choosing different habits. I know we've talked about in the past and you said the quote from your father, how you were married to your work before. And it sounds like you're married to your personal development. You're married to self-improvement. It, it, it's like you've, there's another quote I really love. I'm going to insert it here. The way to change the old is to focus all your attention on the new. And that's yep. sort of what you you did. And you jumped in and I, and I would, again, this is my outside looking at opinion, but I'm willing to bet that because you address the, uh, identity of your sexuality at the same time, it probably lended a lot towards helping you with your um, chemical addiction as well by taking a holistic approach to the root cause. Absolutely. The the statistics and the numbers um, show that there is a 25% greater chance of substance abuse among homosexuals. Really? Um, I was certainly a person that increased my drinking to feel comfortable with my sexuality. I hands down absolutely did it. I would get blackout drunk and then go to the gay bar. Okay. So yeah, for me, it was, um, yeah, it just made, it was, I, I, yeah, I'm gay. It would just just make (laughs) you feel comfortable facing that, that reality where you may not have felt comfortable with it before, before you did the introspection, self-awareness work. Is that correct? Kind of I mean, I was, was, yeah, I was raised, raised, uh, Roman with the Catholic. Lancaster Catholic, right? Uh, rose, yep. yep. Raised and then went to Lancaster Catholic. And, and, um, there was actually a, a funny story <laughs> during, uh, back in the late eighties, early nineties, Victoria's secret used to give out, um, uh, not give out, but you could buy a three pack of women's panties and they came in a bag okay. with a pattern on it. Right. And when you go to Catholic school, you don't have that many ways of showing your individuality. You, okay. you can pick your shoes. Right. But even your socks are determined by the dress code. OK. So funny story. I'm in religion class. One of my buddies is in the religion class with me. And we both have now taken our Victoria's Secret, you know, basically panty bags and turned them into our pencil case. <laughs> 
So we get to gym class, right? And and the thing is, like, ha ha ha, you know, you got them too. You know, which ones do you have on today? And we pulled our our shorts down just a little bit to show the underwear. Well, the gym teacher decided to report that to the principal. And the, the principal at the time was a Catholic priest. Mm-hmm. And so she said, yes, they were exhibiting homosexual behavior in gym class. Now we're both on the basketball team. We're getting ready to go to a state championship. And now we're, we're both in detention for exhibiting homosexual behavior. And the, and they, they called my mom into the office. So her dad was there and my mom was there and everything. And this was, you know, this is long before I, I had absolutely no idea. I mean, I, I had a boyfriend in high school and we were together and we were, almost, yeah, it was almost news to you at the time. It was, it was absolute news to me. I mean, but <laughs> you know, so that was, um, that was a crazy story. So my, and I have my freshman year and, um, we're not both, both Marie, my, my really good friend and I are not in our family or our, uh, team photo for basketball that year. Cause we were in detention. Oh my goodness. For, uh, for exhibiting homosexual behavior and they threatened to kick us out of the schools. So I had that experience in the back of my head. So I've got the church already. Mm. Um, my family, my parents, I, I did know that my parents had some friends that were gay. Mm-hmm. There was a little bit of like, you know, I wasn't, I didn't really fear anything with my parents. It was just society as a whole. Um, mm. You know, I, I just, I felt like, you know, not, not you shouldn't be gay, but man, it must be, it's just different. I don't know what it is. Um, and it's harder and I don't know how to express it. So I need to, I need my liquid courage. Now I, I totally, it, it sounds like you, the gift of giving your authentic self to yourself, right? Mm-hmm. The, the gift of the gift of, Hey, guess what? I'm going to release you from feeling shitty about just being who you are. And it's like, when you release that, there's like shackles and chains of expectations or stereotypes or standards that are not imposed. Like they're imposed by not even your family, by this like perceived other, the the society figure. It sounds like, I mean, in today's age to show underwear in gym class is like that blows my mind that's a detention offense let alone a a, like there are i'm not going to pass judgment but there's stuff going on like with drag shows at schools where it's like totally normalized i'm like shit has changed yeah shit has really changed changed. (laughs) i don't know and and i don't mean to laugh and make make light of your story but i'm like by today's standards, that's normal. That's not, yeah. there's nothing wrong. There's zero abnormality with that whatsoever. Yeah. And, and, um, you know, there was no, it, it was. And yeah. the report that she wrote up, you know, was a little bit stronger. I think it said we were humping each other. And it was like, what are you kidding me? You know, no, we weren't. But the experience and the trauma of having the priest mm-hmm. sit there and read this account to your parents. Mm. And then the basketball coach finding out, I mean, that we, we, he had, they had us running until we threw up. Oh my gosh. You know, for, for missing, uh, being late for practice or, or whatnot. So it was, um, and actually now that I think about it, that wasn't freshman year, that was my, that was our junior year when we were going for the state championship. The, the freshman year detention was for something that I did do. <laughs> guilty. Yeah. I was guilty of that one. So. <laughs> 
um but yeah being your authentic self is 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 important and if you can't be your authentic self then you need like if you're not ready to really be your authentic self then you need to be very careful in the situations that you're going to put yourself in mm-hmm. you know anything that's going to be add any stress any stress at all um, when you're vulnerable and that's whether it's because you're newly sober or you're coming back from a relapse or you just had a bad day, you know, just it could be that yeah. general. And, and the stuff that I am advising to, you know, people in recovery and, and um, I, I work with people that want to do change for process addictions and chemical addictions. So I deal with food too. Mm-hmm. So I advise people to just pick out what they're eating before they get to the meal. You know, these things are all simple steps that apply to humans. You know, we're all, we're all just humans, right? And um, we're trying to get along with other humans. And if no one's perfect, everyone has their shit. Everyone has, if they're really honest with themselves, everyone has a unique identity that they at their core know is who they are. And everyone has some sort of obstacle or outside pressure or, you know, I I almost think of the societal perception as like a a predatory force of I have to defend myself or else I'll get hurt kind Mm -hmm. of a thing. And you're like, no, what you need to do is work on self-development, work on, you know, that healing process so that the predator becomes kind of like, I can handle that. Yep. And it takes it's like building a muscle. It's like learning a skill. It's a fucking skill to learn mm-hmm. that. And this is, I mean, it, it can apply. Like, look, I was diagnosed with ADHD when I was like six years old. I'm sure, as you know, that statistics for people with ADHD to also have comorbidities of like depression, anxiety, OCD, um, even in the gifted program, like a higher IQ, like that I was blessed enough to find school very fucking easy and boring, mm-hmm. but like also addiction, yeah. You know, newsflash, those comorbidities come with, they kind of come in clusters. So mm-hmm. because I, I felt like I had that label or that stigma attached to me at a young age, there was a time where I was like, no, I'm not. That's not true. I, I'm just this. I'm just rough and rowdy or whatever I wanted to <laughs> sort of, you know, try and deflect it. And it wasn't until I was like out of college where I was like, you know what? Fuck it. Like I, this is, it is what it is. Um, and maybe the doctors knew what they were talking about the whole time. And maybe I'm going to stop arguing. And as soon as that happened, it just became a whole heck of a lot easier to, to manage. Um, but your point about food, I mean, as someone that was a, an athlete as well, a wrestler, uh, into fitness or whatever, it, it's just like, do the boring things because you'll find the solace and the peace and the progress in doing boring things like don't miss your workout like mm-hmm. continue to drink a gallon of water you have vitamins medication how about taking those take them <laughs> like, yeah <laughs> you know don't make an exception because it's a freaking december 25th like that doesn't mm-hmm. you're not doing anyone a service the again i want to reiterate what i find to be a valuable point in this from hearing your story is really the most valuable gift to give others is your healed authentic identity your 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 best self putting forward because without doing that how can you do other things to the best of your ability yep be true to yourself that's it that's that's it in a nutshell and um the you know the truth is 
some days we can handle more than other days. And we have to surround ourselves that we with people that we are comfortable telling our truth. As long as we're comfortable telling our truth, then if it gets a little bit too heated at the Christmas table, um, they can accept that, hey, this is where I got to tap out. I uh, I'm not going to I'm not going to participate anymore in in this high stress Mm. environment because it's just not good for me. And again, I just want to reiterate, I mean, that's a human thing. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It doesn't matter what a different character defects, as you might call them, or flaws or crutches. Attributes. Anything. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Attributes and characteristics, whatever, Um, you know, it's for everybody feel comfortable and that's i do a lot of mental health stuff and that's probably a good segue into the mental health and mm-hmm. you know what's what's different and what do you recommend for people with struggling with their mental health over the holidays and um you know i recommend not isolating mm. i recommend celebrating i recommend getting a schedule and sticking to it every day get up at the same time go to bed at the same time eat your balanced meals whether you do three meals or five meals, um, eat your eat your balanced meals, take your meds, and literally do what you want to do that day. When we're in a healthy, good space, we want to meet our obligations. Mm-hmm. And we want to be around other humans. Human connection and um and, and in the addiction field, joy is accredited to much of the success in recovering. You know, joy helps your brain form better neuropathways, you know, kind of out with the old, in with the new. And uh, same for mental health. So put yourself in as many situations that you can experience joy. Hmm. Combating depression, you know, uh, if if you're combating depression and you just don't feel like engaging... Um, and, and you're going to, uh, isolate and do those things that we know exacerbate the condition. Don't expect to get better. That's, that's such a powerful thing to hear right now. I have, uh, so not addiction related, but mental health related. My mother had a vaccine related injury and lost her sight. She's like 90 plus percent blind. It, oh, so, something happened. So she, this is within like a year, year and a half. She's kind of coping and coming to terms with that. But with that is like serious depression. I mean, she's like 63, she'll be 63 in a week. So one of the things that I know with her is that she, during holiday gatherings and kind of big outdoor spaces and lots of people, she doesn't feel comfortable. Anxiety, depression gets her. She's like, I, mm-hmm. I'm not doing this. But she told me, you know, because Saturday there's a big business meeting that I have the obligation and desire to attend, uh-huh. but Skylar has to work on Saturdays and I'm usually babysitting. So I said, Hey mom, your birthday is Sunday. How about you watch Torvi, our baby? And she was crying. She goes, that's the best birthday gift ever. <laughs> Connecting with my granddaughters, my, my, my highest source of joy. And it's kind of like, it makes you, it makes just makes me feel really good that like just spending time with a family member can make somebody just completely 180 because you know there's days where she doesn't get out of bed she just cries all day yeah so that connection whether that's with a granddaughter or a, you know a spouse or a friend or whatever 
find that connection, be a moth to a flame to that feeling. And then you can start to, you know, tally down the days where you don't get out of bed and you're crying too much. And then you can start to look forward to things. So that, the, for me, it's like the monetarily, it's the best ROI of a gift to give is like, oh, I get a free babysitter. Obviously, yeah. jokingly self-level, but spiritually, it makes me feel really good to make my mom happy. Yeah. Yeah, it's awesome. And um, that contact with your mom is is going to be great for Tor V2, right? So it's a win-win for for all parties. I'm I'm sorry to hear about your mom's struggle. That's uh that's sad. Yeah, I mean, yeah. It I think she's getting to the acceptance phase. Okay, it takes, yeah. It takes a little bit long to get that, but um you know, that's we try I try to see her once or twice a week. That's kind of a main yeah. priority for me for, you know, family and one day at a time is what is what yeah. one of her quotes to me growing up, and I have a sign somewhere in my office is it is what it is. Yeah, what she would always yep. say whenever bad things would happen. And it is what it is. Yeah. It is what it is. So <laughs> so um some other mental health uh, conditions also are exacerbated by stress. Mm-hmm. And as we have mentioned, the holidays are stressful times. So another you know, I struggle with uh, bipolar disorder and my, for me, some of my triggers are financial stress and family stress. Mm-hmm. So December, I have to, you know, prepare myself and make a conscious effort to be checking in a couple times a day with myself. Hey, have I, have I stay hydrated? Mm. Like, did I take my meds? Yes. Have I stay hydrated? Have I eaten? You know, I'm mm-hmm. doing the 75 hard challenge right now. Mm-hmm. And I chose intermittent fasting as my diet. Mm-hmm. And some people may say that I'm going to fail uh, over this, but I, I, I'm working a lot right now and I'm getting excited because I like to work mm-hmm. and that excitement, you know, I get hyper and, and then all of a sudden I'm like, Oh, am I going to go, you know, am I going to go off the charts here? You know, and I start to worry about it and I probably worry a little bit too much mm. um you know i probably just need to like chill out a little bit on <laughs> on my uh my awareness of of where i'm at mm. but um you know i don't want to i don't want to go into mania so i started having that and food is a is a big part of it mm. right and eating the balanced meals so i had to change i had to do a gut check the other day and like yeah i'm starting to feel hypomanic so i i have to eat mm. you know it's after my six hour window, but I have to eat. And during the challenge, there have been times where I was able to not eat and just be hungry. And that was fine. And I could drink water. But when I felt that it was going to affect my mental health, you know, and could get into a very scary situation, I had to say, what's more important. So I'm, I changed the diet up a little bit to, for the rest of the challenge, you know, still stick to a diet um, because of the time of year that it is. Because of the finances, See, because of the extra gatherings. If if I can give you any confidence or encouragement on the intermittent fasting diet as somebody that was unknowingly, unconsciously had to become a master of that through cutting weight through combat sports right. forever. Like I used to be single digit body fat and 
like just had to deal with, you know, the expectation of high level performance. And also what I thought was going to help me was have as low of body fat and body weight as possible. I mean, I mm. used to weigh like around the clock, like 70 pounds less than I am now. So I, I added like a whole other you know elementary school person to my body, right. you know, but one of the things that was true about that was the, the diet was only he's like, hold out on eating until, until, uh, you absolutely have to eat. Like only eat when you have to was how we did intermittent fasting. So what would that look like in practice was on times where we had a weigh-in or a competition, we would have less physical exertion, less hard practice, no lifting, no conditioning. So I would yep. eat for longer periods of fasting. And then when it was harder practice and it was a lot more, not manic, but like a lot more busy and active, we would then go and be like, okay, we're going to eat at like an early dinner at like 4 p.m. or 3 p.m. And then you just eat as much as you can at that time. But sometimes it would be a 24-hour window. Sometimes it would be a 12 or a 10 because we were just so busy. But yeah, It's not like we would snack and graze throughout the whole time. You would just be like, okay, I really got it. I can't miss this meal now. So it sounds yeah. like with you, like I would put you in the same bucket of like intermittent fasting as what we did. Just, you know, a diet should be there to support you, not like harm you. Right. Right. And that's exactly it. And, um, you know, it, it was at, that was it. It was at the point two days ago that I felt like it could harm me. And it's, it's because, um, I keep, I keep wanting intermittent fasting to be right. To be like, okay with me. Yeah. And I, this is, this is, it's happened several times, right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that it hasn't been wise. Um, I mean, same thing with like a diabetic, right? Like it, you got to eat or else your blood sugar gets too low and it's just detrimental to your health. I mean, think of it like that. Like there's really no difference at the end of the day between what's going on with, you know, keeping your mental health in check where it needs to be. And someone with diabetes, it's just a different fucking label. Right. You know? Right. So I agree with that for sure. Carrie, very stimulating conversation as always, when I get to talk to you for everyone listening, I hope that this, podcast episode helps you and your family because i know you know someone out there that's struggling to understand what they're going through how to help uh, and if you're struggling yourself just please reach out make a connection someone wants you to have joy i promise you that